Good morning, Faith Family. I am very excited this morning to be starting our new series where we're going to take the next six weeks and unpack the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. One thing that I think is important to lay out before we get going is that studying a thing is not the same thing as experiencing a thing. I was struck with the weirdest thought as I stood nearly shoulder to shoulder, looking straight up and straining my neck to see the ceiling in this chapel that was off to the side of St. Peter's Cathedral in Vatican City. Formerly known as the Great Chapel, it was renamed after the Pope that restored it between 1473 and 1481. It was restored in 1481. And at the time, it was renamed the Sistine Chapel. And as I am looking up in this building and trying to take in all that I see and all that I smell and all that I'm hearing, I was struck with the thought, I wish I could see this in a book so that I could see the details better. Which was immediately followed by a second thought. You dummy. That, this was never meant to be examined in a book. This was not created to be examined from a few inches away in a book. It was meant to be experienced. And so this sense of being totally overwhelmed and unable to take it all in at once was exactly Michelangelo's intention when he designed and painted this extraordinary ceiling. The details were designed not to be dissected from a few inches away, but to be taken in from 50 feet below, where you're not able to see any one aspect without taking it in, in the whole. And I want to keep this in mind over the next six weeks as we unpack this prayer. I want us to remember that this prayer was not given to us to dissect and analyze, not to study or intellectualize safely from a book at a distance. It was given to us to experience, to participate in, to dig our hands and our hearts into, and to never focus on just one detail without being taken in by the whole. But we don't want to spend the next six weeks looking at this prayer but to help you see through this prayer, to experience this prayer, to help you see the Father and His world and our lives through the lens that He provides for us and so that our experience will ultimately be more intimacy with our Father, more humility in ourselves, more confidence in Him, and more consistency and comfort in our prayer. And there's two encouragements that I want give you that, that hopefully will, will help as we move forward. The first encouragement is don't underestimate the significance of this prayer. Speaking of Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, which is where we'll be, pastor theologian J.C. Ryle said this, said perhaps no part of scripture is so full and so simple at the same time as this. It is the first prayer we learn to offer up as children, and here is its simplicity. It contains the germ of everything which the most advanced saint can desire, 
and here is its fullness. The more we ponder every word it contains, the more we shall feel this prayer is of God. So if this is of God, if this is God literally saying to us, this is how I want to hear from you, and as we study this over the next couple of weeks, and as we experience this over the next six weeks, we should ask ourselves, how do Jesus' words encourage or challenge or correct some of the prayer habits that you and I have developed over the years? Maybe you only ever ask for stuff and never even think to speak out words of praise or adoration or thanks or declaring their a desire that God's name would be honored in you and around you and in this world and that his will would be accomplished. Maybe you think asking for stuff is wrong and you feel guilty or like you're not supposed to do that. Maybe the correction that you need is that you have no prayer habits at all and you need to start praying. Wherever you find yourself and whatever your prayer looks like, the power and relevance of this example that Jesus gives us should not be underestimated. David Platt, pastor and author, says, we have no idea of the depth of our inability and no idea of the extent of God's ability. So do not underestimate prayer in general, our, our desperate need for it, and what God is able to accomplish through it, or the significance of this prayer in particular. And number two, don't be intimidated by prayer. And in Matthew, Jesus is giving us this example of how to pray right after saying, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And a few verses later, it says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So the purpose of prayer is never to look good before others or even to look good before God with our fancy use of words or our profound statements. We come to the Father with what we have. Or the way C.S. Lewis said it is, lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Or, with Pastor Matt Chandler said it even more simply, pray what you've got. Just pray what is actually in you, not what you think should be there or what you think God would expect of you. Just pray what you've got. So now we want to take a look at Jesus' example so that maybe we have a little more to work with. So join me in praying this together and then we will unpack it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I want to take a couple minutes to give us a quick overview and then we're going to dig in to just that first line, actually. 
So what, we want, what I want us to see in here are a few things that, that I believe point to the significance, the completeness, the power of this prayer. And the first thing that I want us to notice is, it says, Our Father. As you, as you look through here, it doesn't, doesn't say my Father, it says our Father. And, and as you keep going through here, you see, again, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Our, us, we, not I, not me, not mine. We pray together, even when we are separated. Now, this doesn't mean it's wrong to say I or me in prayer, but Jesus sets the standard that even our prayer happens in the context of community. We did a little bit of accidental damage in our understanding of God and Jesus and the church and ourselves when we invented the phrase, my personal relationship with Jesus. And what accidentally have. Well, let's talk about what's good about that. What, what the well-meaning and well-intended teachers who, who created that phrase within the last few decades meant by that is that you can't have a relationship with Jesus through someone else. You can't have a relationship with Jesus through your pastor or through an author or through your parents or through some sort of Bible study curriculum. It requires your personal involvement and investment and commitment. And in engaging in him in actual relationship, not just following religious rules or guidelines, but by, by engaging him in a relationship. Because this is about being a disciple of Jesus, of actually following Jesus. And you can't truly follow somebody that you know nothing about and have no relationship with. What it never was intended to mean is personal in the sense of private. It was never meant to communicate that your relationship with God is strictly between you and Him and it's nobody else's business. Right? It is, if it is in fact the God of the Bible that you are praying to, that you are following, that you are in relationship with, He will always be pointing you back to His people, to His church, to His family. He did not save anyone to be an autonomous isolated individual, but into a family, into a community, into a kingdom of his people. So Jesus says, pray like this, us, our, we, together. We also see, and I think it's worth pointing out, that about 50% of this is about God rather than us. Because what do we see in here? We see, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Only then do we see the three verses that talk about our bread, our debts, which imply our sins against one another's and what we owe them as a result of that, and to deliver us, our, our desire, our request for deliverance. And when we do get to our needs, I don't want us to miss what I think is pretty extraordinary about this, how complete this simple list actually is. Because what we see in here is, give us this day our daily bread, where we see a, a request to meet our physical needs. 
and forgive us our debts, which, are, are, which meets a relational need and how we relate to others. And then lastly, we see, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which addresses our spiritual needs. But even more so, we see it addresses our physical needs, our relational needs, our spiritual needs, but it also addresses here, we see our, give us this day, our daily bread. So we see he addresses the present. Forgive us our debts, which is the decisions that, that we have made in the past and that we need forgiveness and reconciliation for. And lead us not into temptation implies that he is asking for help with the future. So we see there is so much going on in this prayer. It is extraordinarily complete, extraordinarily, pro- extraordinarily profound in its simplicity. But what we want us to take most of our time to unpack today is simply this first sentence, the very first appeal, our Father in heaven. We talked about the significance of our already, that it is us together, not as strictly as an individual, but as God's gathered people And I want to take some time to unpack the idea of Father. He is our Father. This first line determines the object of our prayer, or who it is about and who it is to, and the context of our prayer, or how it is that we come to Him. Or an even more simple way of looking at that, it addresses who He is and who we are. Right? And if you don't think that's a big deal, if you don't think how you start that prayer, how you approach that prayer is a big deal, think about what's at stake if you get that wrong. Right? If you don't understand who it is that you are praying to, or you don't understand who you are coming to this being in prayer, what goes wrong? Well, here's a few examples, because I love examples. Dear Zeus, I hope you are not having a bad day and going to take it all out on me. Dear Ganesh, I really hope that one of the other two million gods don't distract or defeat you today so that you can't help me. Dear selfish, abusive God who toys with me and messes with me for fun. Dear angry God, I hope you don't smite me today. Dear distant, disconnected, unknowable God who probably doesn't even know and certainly doesn't care if I even exist. Why am I even talking to you? Dear incompetent boss God who doesn't really deserve my respect and who is doing a worse job than I would if I were in charge. Dear demanding God with expectations that I can't ever meet and who is constantly disappointed in me. Dear Cosmic Butler, give me this, get me this, and why haven't you given me this yet? Dear Authority, I want the approval of. Look at all the great stuff that I do for you and how much better I am than this person or that person. Aren't you pleased with me because of all that I do or more importantly, don't do? 
Now in contrast to that list, think about our Father. Our Father. Can you hear how different that is? Well, certainly most of us listening do not believe in idols or or would ever actually verbalize those, those ideas of, of God. Our misunderstanding of who God is, how he interacts with us, and, and who we are before him has a dramatic effect on how or if at all we pray. Never is your theology more on display than in your prayer. What you think God is like, what you believe he is capable of, what you think he expects of you, what you think he thinks is most important, and how much or little you believe his desires matter shape every prayer that we ever give. It's all on display in how or if we approach him in prayer. Our Father. Everything our earthly fathers should have been, even the best of our fathers, are but a shadow of the compassion, the care, the protection, the provision, the love, and the acceptance of our perfect heavenly Father. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Abba, a term of endearment and intimacy, not a formal father, but more like daddy. And not mine alone, but ours together, our dad, our heavenly dad. You and I are not alone and do not pray in isolation, fending for ourselves, but we come together, brothers and sisters, as redeemed and adopted, beloved, precious daughters and treasured sons of our Heavenly Father, who answers our prayers or questions and responds to our desires and our needs not with judgment and condescension, but with care and compassion. Or that amazing biblical phrase that we see all throughout the Old and New Testament, steadfast loving kindness. An amazing adjective. The unshakable kindness rooted in self-sacrificial love. So good. That is our Father. And who else is our Father? He is the one who dwells in the heavens. Not a distant place, not a disconnected future place, 
but the heavens. And this term, the heavens, is, is a term that would imply both the sky, the, the cosmos, or the universe, the stars, the planets, everything in that, and the eternal abode of God, the dwelling place of God. So it's not heaven in the sense of this, this future place where God is in this disconnected place that is far from us and that we have no access to, but that he literally fills the atmosphere and the entire cosmos. No matter where you are, he is closer to you than your own breath. Yet he dwells in unapproachable light in a place of absolute perfection. He is not a part of his creation. He transcends all things. And yet he is in the midst of his creation. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Everything, everything in creation vibrates with the power and presence of its creator. He has written himself into the code and yet he is separate from it. He sustains every aspect of all of creation but is not a part of creation himself. He transcends it. We do not pray to a being that is restricted by the same physical or material limitations that we are. We do not pray to a being that is so distant that he can't know what is going on in my life, let alone what's going on in my heart. We do not pray to a being who gets busy or distracted or who has more important things on his mind. We pray to our Father in the heavens, our Father who is everywhere and yet transcends everything. I want us to take time to actually exercise this, to experience this together, to pray through this together. And so what I would like for us to do is to pray through the prayer in its entirety and then come back and just take a few minutes on each one of those words, on our, on Father, and in heaven, to pray the prayer and to use this prayer as a framework for further discussion with your heavenly dad. So pray this with me and then I'll walk us through a time of praying through each one of these individually. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our, what comes to your mind when you think about our, us, together, that we belong to this Father, this Heavenly Father, this Eternal Father, what stirs praise and thanksgiving in you? Tell our Father. 
What questions does it raise? Or what do you need help with in either understanding this or walking in this truth? Ask our Father. Father, what comes to your heart when you think of God being our Father? What stirs praise and thanksgiving in you? Tell our Father that. What questions does it stir in you? What do you need help in? Ask Our Father, as these things come to your heart, as they come to your mind, speak them out to him. in heaven. What comes to your heart, what comes to your mind when you think of God being in the heavens, that he is everywhere and yet he transcends everything. What praise, what thanksgiving stirs up in your heart when you think of that? What questions does it raise? What do you feel that you need help in, in understanding that or in walking in that truth, in that reality? Ask him. Speak those things out right now.
Thank you, Father. We can trust that through Christ, we are yours. You are ours. We are in you together. Because you have adopted us through Christ, you, we can truly call you Father. And that you are the Father who is close, who is with us, everywhere and in everything. And it has the power and the glory to transcend all things, all circumstances, all situations. Please help us to rest in that, trust in that, in our Father in the heavens. Amen.